Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And welcome to Everything is Fine, a podcast for women over 40. We are your hosts. I'm Kim France. And I'm Jen Romolini. Jen, how is it? How is it? What's the what? What's um, the what? Well, we just did an interview and we haven't done an interview in a while. So I think, I mean, I'm, I feel dazed. <laughs> I feel a little exhausted. Yes. We haven't actually yeah. interviewed a guest in quite some time. No, we haven't interviewed a guest in quite some time. And Christy Coulter is great and her book is great. And it was it was interesting to have a conversation with somebody else. And like basically like it was like the conversational equivalent of putting on hard pants instead of just being with you and being like sweatpants every day. <laughs> no, it's true. It's a whole different thing. I get I get tense in a different way when we have a guest beforehand. Totally. I'm, I'm a different, I'm a different kind of person. Um, what's happening with you this week? Anything exciting? Um, no, it's just, you know, by the time this airs, it will be the end. Summer will be over. That's right. I mean, it's, it, we're, we're marching towards it being over right now. Um, I feel okay about that. Even though summer is my favorite season, I'm kind of excited for, yeah. You know, even though it means that winter will eventually come. You're excited for the next, the next thing, whatever it, whatever it may bring. Whatever the next season may bring, I'm excited for it. As long as it doesn't bring anything too shitty. What have you been up to? Well, I, I had like a million thoughts for this podcast today. And I was like, actually, we didn't, we just need to do a just us episode because I have a million thoughts. And then this <laughs> morning I could think of not one of them. Like I didn't <laughs> That's write hilarious. Them but I did have a situation this week because, you know, we like to talk about friendships and friendships ending and et cetera, et cetera. And, um, I have a friend that I'm estranged from that we've talked about in this podcast before. That was a big friend breakup for me. And it was very upsetting for me. And over the years I have tried to make amends and I've been sort of slow playing what I consider to be a very, very small hand of cards, you know, like, maybe a birthday card here, a text um, on this person's 50th birthday. I sent them something, you know, I've been like sort of slow playing, but I knew I had one card left to play, which was a very direct, I miss you. If you would like to come back, find a way back to this friendship, 
I would like to do that too. You know, the very direct, like maybe all of this dancing I've done for the past three years, you didn't pick up on. I'm going to make the direct request Mm -hmm. and nothing, nothing played the last, played the last, played the last card, nothing, zero. And, um, I had to really grieve the friendship because now I know the friendship is over. Like it's over for fucking for fuck sure. And I was talking to Alex about it for a while. Like, I don't know. I just did so much that was wrong and I apologized. And then he was like, did you really do that much that was wrong? And then we actually like examined it. And he said, or is it just the donkey movie, which I can't think of the the Colin Farrell donkey movie. Did you see the, what is it called? Um, it was this, it was this, I should remember this, but I was going to bring up this big thing, but it was the, the Colin Farrell donkey movie that came out this year. And it was like up for last year and it came up, uh, it was up for like Oscars and he's incredible in it. And anyway, the bottom line is of this movie, which I'm going to think of the name. Oh, the Banshees of Inishirin. Okay. Oh, that's right. Okay. So the premise of this movie is that one person just stops. One friend just stops liking the other friend. He just stops liking him one day. He's just like, I don't like you anymore. I don't want to know you anymore. And Alex was like, maybe it's that fucking simple. It's the donkey movie. He just stopped liking you. And it actually makes it simpler. It is. And he was like, Alex was like, why have you like not actually considered that? That like somebody, like you stop liking people sometimes. Like he just stopped, you just stopped being his thing. I, I have a I, I, I wonder if that's the case, though, because there was t- I have a relationship like that with a friend, also a guy who just, you know, completely ghosted me. But you guys had a lot of tension. So what, though? No, he I has guess that, like, he has, it doesn't matter. Ultimately, if you like somebody, you'll work through the tension. Ultimately, true, true, true. the calculation just- has to be, oh, I don't like this person enough to know them anymore. It's not worth it to me to work out what we'd have to work out to be in this friendship. Yeah. This person, I don't like them enough and it's fair. And I just been thinking about that a lot. And I brought something like it up in this episode, which is the, which is the idea of like, oh, I don't belong there anymore. Like, it's just, it's not for me or I'm not for them. And I think this simple, 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 simple idea is so hard for us to wrap our heads around. Yeah. 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 It really is because it does require a little bit of comfort with, you know, rejection and yuckiness, you know, but it's, it is very freeing. It's like when that, it's like in the sex in the city episode where that, that line where they said, he's just not that into you. And when, whichever one of the sex in the city girls was like, well, maybe he's busy. And he told me that his cousin was coming into town. It's like, no, he's just not that into you that, I mean, that was so freeing. They made a movie about it but it, it's true. You know, it's just, they're not into you. And, and when you think about it that way, and you do think about the fact that you've surely not been into people, yes, it, it just like, it's like, okay, I can't be for everyone. I guess I already knew that about myself. Now I'm just for fewer people. Or like, even just like when you're ha- like, you know, I, I told you about a social situation I had recently where I was just like, Oh, it's not even that I hate this person. It's just that we are so different and our approach to the world is so different that for some reason in my, in my like, you know, trauma, narcissism or whatever, I've made that about me, but actually people are really fucking different. They're raised differently. Their values are different. 
or even if the, all of that similar, the way they just operate and move through the world is different. Yeah. And you just don't have chemistry with everyone. And I don't know why this is like, like, it's so obvious. Because everybody wants to be liked because nobody wants to, because you have, to, you and you have to be, I guess what I was trying to say before is you have to be comfortable with the notion of being rejected. You have to yeah. be comfortable with the notion of not being for everyone. Yeah. And not everybody yeah. is. Most people just want to be liked. I mean, who doesn't want to be liked? I know. But the thing is, it's like, not like I make myself especially likable. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's the thing. Like you you're going to live it yourself. Lovable. Well, you love me, but if you're going to live as yourself and you're going to stop tap dancing, which is a big part of this part of life, which is, I, I just have to be my authentic self now, not be rude, not be inconsiderate, but like, I'm going to stop all of that contorting and like making myself small or whatever it is that you're doing to try mm -hmm. to like make people like you and like fawning and everything. When you kind of like get to an age where you're fully in yourself, you have to accept that that self is just not going to be everybody's cup of tea. And I don't know why that's hard. I mean, I, obviously it's because everybody wants to be like, but it's amazing how hard the most simple answer, like the Occam's razor of the situation is. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. You're right. Yeah. Anyway, You're right. that's what I was thinking of. That's what I was thinking of this week. Well, that's a lot to think about. I'm excited yes. for our episode. Me too. Me too. Would you care to just get into the episode? Let's just let's. Our guest today is Christy Coulter. Christy is an acclaimed memoirist, essayist, and fiction writer. Her 2018 debut memoir, Nothing Good Can Come From This, was a finalist for the Washington State Book Award. She has written for the Paris Review, New York Magazine, Glamour, Elle, and many other publications. Christy has also taught writing and literature at the University of Michigan and the University of Washington Continuum College, and currently teaches at Seattle's Hugo House. Her new book, Egg an interview, The Life and Death of My Ambitious Career, is out September 12th. Welcome, Christy. Hello. Hi. Hi. Thank you. I almost said welcome back. <laughs> oh, yeah. Welcome. Well, welcome yes. It's true. <laughs> One of our rare returning guests. Yeah, this is a return guest. Yes. Yeah. But from the, but from the way back, the way back machine. Yeah. yeah. The way before times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the way before times. Um, So first of all, I have to ask because this book has so many juicy details about the inner workings of Amazon. How in the world did you get away with this without <laughs> the NDA or get around the NDA you surely had to sign? I assume I signed something back when I started. Oh, no. <laughs> it has been so long. And actually, I'll tell you a funny story. I was having coffee with a friend who spent even longer at Amazon than I did um, a couple weeks ago. And she said around like her 15th year, she got an email from them being like, hey, we can't find your NDA. Would you mind just signing this new one? <laughs> Amazing. Like, they just, and I, I get it, you know, right. Just, like lost it. So right, right. I, I sort of decided <laughs> not to worry about that. And I wrote <laughs> the book in such a way that I was like, well, I'm writing my own memories. Um, I didn't do any research. I mean, if I needed to check a fact or something, I would use Amazon's own press releases mm -hmm. uh, or, right. you know, or other publicly available material. I tried to just be really rigorous about that. Yeah. And artistically also, I thought it would be a better book if I didn't do any research Yeah. because right. I didn't want to get into like 
reportage. <laughs> um, that's interesting. You know. That's interesting. So you didn't, you didn't no, want to, yeah, you didn't want to do that kind. So that's really interesting because this is like a hard yeah. kind of book to write. So well, yeah. it keeps it, it keeps it personal. I would yeah. imagine if you're not trying yeah. to write about the universe of Amazon in some statement way. That's exactly what I want. I mean, you do write about it in a statement way, but right, right. Yeah. I, I mean, there have been multiple books at this point about like Amazon as a business. Um, and then there's books about women in tech that end up with like policy prescriptions, yeah. you know, like here's what Congress should do. Um, right. And of course I have opinions about all that stuff as like a person right. and a voter, but I don't, as a writer, I don't give a shit. Like, I just don't care. Right. That's not interesting to me to write about. And so, and I was also like, and I probably shouldn't. <laughs> so, so that right. worked out well, you know, mm-hmm. but I really, really tried to just say, just stick with your own experience because that's, because I'm, that's the way you're going to write the book that you want to write. Like the weird personal book that hope yes. that will hopefully still be universal enough. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it provides a kind of snapshot of Amazon that I think is richer in some ways than the types you would get in a book like that. Right, right. It's. I mean, I remember reading Ellen Powell's book about um, Reddit. 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 Yeah. yeah. And 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 the the hedge fund or something in San Francisco. And you know, her experiences are really interesting. But the book was very much like, and because of my experiences, here's what the tech world should do. Yeah. Um, and that was just not the kind of book that I wanted to write because I'm like a writer. I'm sort of a writer's writer, you know? Um, so, and then also, you know, these books go through like a rigorous legal review. So I always knew that I'd have some lawyer on the other end, you know, looking at every detail. And as with my first book, it was like never the stuff that I thought would be a problem that they had questions Mm -hmm. about. It's always some random thing, you know, Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you never thought about. Yeah. No, and it's interesting. Once you start getting into the re- reportage or you get into like a prescriptive thing, you're kind of hiding too. It's like easier to hide mm-hmm. your sort of emotional state when, you, when you're like, oh, look at these facts. Don't look at me. You know, it's, exactly. it, it, it makes yeah. things a little easier, I think, in some ways, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I also, you know, a good memoir is really interrogates like the narrator as much as anyone else. Like I didn't want this to be like, Oh, look at what big bad Amazon did to me because like Amazon in some ways was like a great drug for me too. And I'm the one who stayed for 12 years. Like I I wanted to ask you about that because Mm -hmm. you, you describe in the book, you know, staying at your job, even as it overwhelmed you and everyone around you, in a culture that you came to see as deeply unhealthy and inequitable to women, is there something distinctly female about your urge to stick it out in that yeah. circumstance? I think so in some ways. I mean, I grew up in the 80s, this idea of like women having it all, that, it, you know, like we just have to be twice as good as men. And fortunately, this is not difficult. I remember those like bumper stickers. And I really thought I could be like the exceptional woman. Um, I would be the one who would like crack the code. And I'm also incredibly stubborn just in general. And I, and I guess kind of optimistic (laughs) um, because I keep trying things. And so I do think there was something female about it. And just like, I'm going to be the one who does this. I'm not going to walk away. Um, And I also was just, you know, I thought I was unemployable elsewhere. I mean, I really Mm -hmm. did think that nobody else would hire me, which was crazy. That's yeah. just crazy talk. And I truly believed it. Um, 
And, I and mean, it sounds like that was, that, I'm sorry, I keep interrupting. It sounds like that was no. part of the lore of Amazon, though. They won't hire you at Nordstrom. At Google, they make you do a re-education process. I'm getting right. the companies wrong, I'm sure. But that that all the companies in Seattle, Google's not in Seattle, but there was the, the Amazon people's reputations preceded them, and they were unemployable because of that. Yeah, this lore that, like, Nordstrom, like, these people would come in and just be jerks. Starbucks is the place that was rumored to have this, like, deprogramming process which I was like, please deprogram me. <laughs> and we, we actually, in my last role at Amazon, ended up hiring a bunch of people from Starbucks corporate because we were doing grocery. And like, they were so nice. I loved them. <laughs> and, um, but we also used to be like, oh, they can't get anything done. Those people at Starbucks are all consensus driven. And I was like, oh no, they're actually great at their jobs. They're just different than we are. Wow. Um, so yeah, so there was this idea that nobody would hire you. Um, when I would have, occasionally I would just take a call from someone or have an informational and I would have to really go out of my way to be like, look, look how nice I am. Look how I can work with others. I'm not an asshole. Um, you know, but, but I really thought that like, I just was once Amazon figured out how bad I was at my job, I would just not be able to get a job anywhere. And so Mm. it's like this idea of like, let me just see if I can, if Amazon, if I can keep fooling Amazon and that way I can make a living. I want to ask you though, because a lot of this is about money, right? So if you're earning Mm -hmm. a lot of money for the first time, Mm -hmm. it it kind of like, you know, the golden handcuffs, everything, it interferes with seeing the the workplace clearly. Did, was that your experience? Like, I want to know about that too, because yeah. It absolutely did. I mean, uh, when I came into Amazon, you know, most of my compensation was in stock, I would say probably like 75% of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was actually earning under market rate for the first year or two, Mm -hmm. Um, although still more money than I made in my life before. And I remember um, the Marnie in the book, the woman who would become my best friend mm-hmm. saying, yeah, stock's really important part of your compensation. And I was like, really? Because I feel like I'm doing fine without it, you know, and yeah. then that stock kicks in. And it's crazy. And and we were also in a time where we were being paid more than we were supposed to make, because they give you those stock grants based on one stock price, and then the stock keeps going up, up, up. Right. And so we were making I mean, I was probably making at least a job, a salary over what I should have been. And you forget that that's not actually what you're worth on the market. Yeah. You just start to think, well, this is what I'm supposed to be paid. Obviously, this is what I'm worth. Yeah. And, you know, money solves a huge number of problems. Yeah. Um, yeah. Including the problems that working for that money creates. I mean, this yeah. is the right. cycle you get into. So it's like, yeah, you're in therapy and you're having to get massages for your aching muscles and, you know, you're spending too much on like food because you never have time to cook. Um, but you have the money to do that. And right. you also get used to making that much money and you start thinking, but if I had to, you know, go somewhere and make, you know, $75,000 less, how would I survive? Right. It's like, no, you would survive fine. You would yeah. still be overpaid. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me a little bit, you know, people used to say that people would never leave Vogue because once you were at Vogue, where were you going to go? And it seems mm-hmm. like there's a little bit of that as well. Yeah, I think there is. Although I think that with younger people, what I see and hear these days is they see Amazon as a place to go and basically get your passport stamped 
<laughs> learn a lot and get the hell out. Um, you know, the average tenure is under two years. Most people don't make it any longer than that. Wow. Most people don't even make it until their stock starts vesting um, because it takes a couple of years for it to start vesting. So I am. Um, yeah. At, a t- at one time I thought, well, where could I go now? And my husband used to say like, you know, you're like a Navy SEAL at this point. You know, you could do a lot, especially because I work in so many different parts of Amazon. You know, you could do a lot of things. And I and now I'm like, yeah, I get it. Like, I think yeah. I could. And you learn to navigate ambiguity at, at Amazon so well that it really sets you up nicely to do other stuff if you're not broken <laughs> by the right. time you leave. You right. Know. Right. Do you think that the most of the emotional labor, like what was the, what was the environment in terms of like gender at Amazon? Because I mean, I've, I've worked for a big tech company. It's mm-hmm. a, it's a real weird gender balance. Even if there are women in, you know, C-suites or otherwise, it still felt very unbalanced in a, in a way that's like yeah. hard to put your finger on because it's also like progressive, but it's not, you know? Right. Right. That was the strangest thing about Amazon for me is that the the gender issues are really insidious. Yeah. You know, I remember reading articles in Vanity Fair about tech companies where, you know, there's open harassment going on and orgies and you right. know, hot tub parties. Nothing like that happened to me at Amazon. I mean, it's a huge company. I'm sure there's sexual harassment somewhere. Right. You know, right. But I didn't see it, but it's very professional and it is very like, quote, progressive. So it took me a while to even notice that there were not a lot of women in the rooms I was in as a relatively senior person. And Mm -hmm. the thing that's so insidious about it is that I think the, the idea of meritocracy is so embedded in Amazon and places like Amazon that Mm -hmm. men genuinely believe that the reason there aren't more women in leadership is because the women don't make the grade. I think that there are some men who really think that they are progressive and they want to, you know, work with women. But wow, you know, it's just weird. These women or women make different choices than men or women have different priorities. So you can't even have the tough conversation about sexism because they genuinely don't think they're sexist. They think sexism is for other other guys. Right. Right. I thought it was very poignant. And in the book, towards the end, you refer to yourself, you refer to the fact that you were hoping that you came across as a hybrid as opposed opposed to a man or a woman. Yeah. Yeah. You, you really can't, I, I was, it's like being an alien, you know, you're, if you're too female, then you either, they either want to fuck you or they remind you of, um, you remind them of their mom or their sister, or they want to protect you. And you can, you can work that protection angle. You know, if, if you find like a good mentor who wants to protect you, you can sail with that for a while. But if you're too male, they don't like that either. Um, so it's like, you just have to try to be the exact right amount female. And that doesn't exist. So you really do end up feeling like, I think I say you're like a, you know, a guest, like an honored guest at, at most, you know, like they're happy to have you there. Like you're bringing some to the table, but they really don't know quite what to do with you. Right. Yeah. I mean, that comes off in the book really well, I think. And, um, so at the point in the book, when you, you basically say, and I won't say it as well, like I will never get over my femaleness at Mm -hmm. Amazon. Right. 
Right. This will, this will never, I will never be able to outpace this thing at this place. Yeah. You can't outrun it and, and you really can't outrun it in the world either. Um, you know, that I'd spent so much time trying, you know, relatively unconsciously to be the right amount female. And, you know, there's a moment where, you know, I'm actually presenting data on gender to this group of men, um, Amazon's gender imbalance. And, and they're just like, I used to have bets with friends about how long it would take the men to be like, well, we need to be teaching like preschool girls to code and that'll solve this problem. (laughs) You know, like, come on. So, so in 20 years, when you're retired, maybe they'll have entry level growth, but they love it because it makes them feel so good. It's like, oh, I'm Mm -hmm. a feminist. I'm teaching a three-year-old to code. And, um, and they kept talking about, well, women are moms. That was what they kept saying over and over. Women are moms and moms have different priorities. And without even getting into like the policy implications of that, like Amazon has no daycare assistance at all. Um, I was just like, I'm not a mom. Like, like women yeah. or moms struck me existentially as such yes. a bizarre thing to say. Mm. And I thought maybe they think I kind of am a mom, you know, like I just, I just messed it up by not having children or something. Right, right. <laughs> and that's when it kind of landed with me. I was like, I will never outrun the gender. I am always going to be to these people like a mom <laughs> you know, with, who makes different choices and has different priorities than, than they do. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And it was kind of freeing to realize I could not win, you know? Yeah. It's funny. Yeah. I'm trying to think of any woman, like I'm trying to think of in corporate environments I've been in, if there's ever, ever been a woman who's felt like she was winning this at this, I really, it's such a dance and, and yeah only showing certain parts of your personality and like a remove Mm -hmm. to avoid that avoid that dichotomy between I want to fuck you or you're, you mm-hmm. remind me of my mom. There's really, yeah. there's, it's so hard to be in that middle zone. It's like almost it impossible. It is. And I think it's hard for men. I mean, Amazon's a bad environment for like humans yeah. in general, mm-hmm. I think. So it's not like it was easy for men. And and I think in some ways, like these tech companies with that are bullying and aggressive are just bad for like, introverts yeah um you know right. or anyone with a softer personality like i worked with some like absolutely fantastic men who were just you know maybe had more what we think of as feminine traits in their personalities right. who were just lovely and they also i think felt steamrolled a lot but they at least <laughs> have the body parts and the appearance to pass um whereas i just couldn't i just couldn't do it is there anything like now you're a full-time writer and teacher uh-huh. Yeah. Is there anything you learned from Amazon culture that has that serves you well now? Yeah, I think, you know, I really learned to deal with chaos at Amazon um, because it changes so much. It changes so fast. And it is a really chaotic environment. And I took on all these different roles where I had to, like, learn really fast. And I used to think when I used to think about my career, I would think about, like, well, you've got to be prepared and trained. To do, to do the next job. Now I realize if you are smart, if you have critical thinking skills, if you know how to connect with people and talk to people and solve problems, the rest of it is mostly subject matter. I mean, not like dentistry or something like I couldn't <laughs> do that, but, but I tend to navigate the world like, well, I can figure things out because I 
did that at Amazon. I, I went into publishing and I didn't know anything about that. I worked in grocery. We built a weird grocery store, you know, these things that I did not know how to do. Yeah. And you learn what you need. So now um, that's just kind of how I live. Like, I feel very confident about like my basic competence as a human being yeah. mm-hmm. because I was in that world for so long. Let's take a quick break from some ads. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And we're back. Can we talk about how, how, how your ambition has changed or if it's changed? Yeah, I, when I left Amazon, it was, it felt so arrogant to even think it, but I felt like I had outgrown Amazon. Um, I realized that it just didn't really have a place for someone like me and that my ambition was too big for what it could offer me. And I remember talking to a male friend around the time I was leaving and he was lovely, like an actual feminist, like a really good guy. But he said something like, well, and you're, you know, you're, you've done, you know, you're not ambitious. You're going to do fine wherever you go. And I was like, I want to be world famous. You know, it's like he had this idea that ambition was for the bad people. Yeah. And the rest of us just put our heads down and do the work. And I was like, where have we gotten this idea that ambition is bad? Um, I literally looked it up like Webster says at one point, because I I needed to make sure I understood what the word meant, because it gets so much, it just gets dissed so much. Um, My ambition now is, it's much more ambiguous, because I don't have, you know, an obvious goalpost. I can't get promoted. Right. Um, I, I couldn't get promoted at Amazon either, but I could try. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, would I like a Pulitzer Prize? Sure. You know, that goes to one person a year. Probably not going to be me ever. Um, so it's really to just find the next thing. And the next thing never always feels like it's bigger than the thing that came before. I want to, I want to, I'm going to jump around a little bit because I want to touch yeah. on a couple of things. So first off, because I, I want to get back to the being a writer and coming, co- mm-hmm. I want to go back to at some point, then I'm going to go back to other thing first. <laughs> but the first thing I want to go back to is, so when you leave Amazon or when you're in Amazon, mm-hmm. at a certain point, do you have a sort of come to Jesus about your complicit, your complicity in mm-hmm. carrying water in these sort of toxic systems of oppression and your complicity yeah. in, in, in all of it, right? You know, you're, you're mm-hmm. getting the bag, which is important to you. And we all, we mm-hmm. live in capitalism, mm-hmm. 
but you're, you know, you're part of the system, right? So d- yeah, when yeah. you leave, how, like, what happens to you? Is, it, is there grief? Is there, you know, what happens? Mm-hmm. I definitely had a few come to Jesus moments. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there was one when I, I think I mentioned this in the book, I mm-hmm. pick up, you know, I opened Google one day and I see this story about the warehouses in the Lehigh Valley in Pennsylvania. Um, I was stunned. I mean, did I think warehouse work was like the way I'd want to spend my life? No. But uh, the the fact that they were working like 110 degree heat, like I was at a point where I could forget that Amazon had warehouses, you know, working in a totally Mm. different part of the company and, and you're just blind. And I just thought, And then I thought, what can I do? And then I thought, well, I can't do anything. And then I had a meeting and I kind of put the, you know, put the uh, laptop aside and and didn't think about it again. Right, right. Um, When I was there, when Amazon and Hachette, I believe it was Hachette, got into this huge war over ebook pricing. Yes. um, Amazon actually pulled down like the buy buttons or the pre-order buttons for um, a bunch of people's books, like all Hachette authors. And that for me, and also some friends of mine was when we really were like, okay, this is no longer companies fighting like this is, I mean, I had a friend from my MFA program who had her first novel coming out and she emailed saying like, is there anything you can do to help me? And there was not a damn thing I could do. Um, and, and that was, that was awful. And so I, and, you know, living in Seattle, opinions are very, like Amazon is seen as, um, by a lot of people, as like the worst company that ever existed. Okay. Um, which I frankly have, like, I get it. I also think it's a little bit of like edge lording. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, this like, well, these tech bros and blah, they're all stupid. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, I know a lot. Those people are not stupid. They're working really yeah. hard. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when I was a kid, I lived for a year in a remote, in Los Alamos, New Mexico. Um, you know, th- my dad was on sabbatical there. And it was the first time in my life I hadn't had access to, like, bookstores and record stores and movie theaters. And and I was miserable. I absolutely mm-hmm. hated it. Like, seeing yeah. Oppenheimer, like, <laughs> gave me, like, PTSD. I was like, oh, <laughs> <this is> terrible. <laughs> and so I never had the easy sort of like, I hate Amazon, I love Main Street mm-hmm. um, attitude that a lot of people did. Because I remember thinking, wow, this would have made my life infinitely better. And like yeah. my access to art um, as a teenager. So I've always kind of felt like it's complicated, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, when I left, I think I was so disenchanted yeah. already that I didn't get more disenchanted. Okay. You know, I think I was just kind of like, and to this day, I feel like there's things the company does that I think are great. And there's things I think the company does that I think are terrible. Yeah. Um, I shop at Amazon some, I actually never shop. I was never one of those people who buys everything at Amazon. Um, but yeah, I was absolutely complicit. I mean, because I was making a lot of money and I was doing really interesting work. And also I was kind of half crazy. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the time. Yeah. You know, it's not giving anything away to say that the book concludes with you leaving Amazon. Mm -hmm. What gave you the fortitude to walk away? I had something, you know, I started writing again. Mm -hmm. Um, I had not written for myself for like 12 years. And and after I quit drinking, I 
start writing again. And I basically started another career for myself, almost accidentally. You know, I published an essay called Anjali on Medium that went mega viral. Mm -hmm. It got me the deal for my first book. Okay. Um, whose editor, actually the editor for both books was also a former Amazonian, um, Daphne Durham. Yeah. Which I love. And, and so I was moving towards something Mm -hmm. and I took a leave of absence to finish the first book, my first leave of absence. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that I didn't, I didn't miss Amazon and I didn't feel this incredible relief to be away. Yeah. I just felt neutral. And that was really interesting. It told me like, oh, you might really be detached from this place and and able to go. And, you know, we planned. I mean, there were a lot of conversations with our financial advisor um, about like how much runway I could have to start making money again. um, But eventually, I think I just felt such emotional detachment from the place that, you know, when I left, I didn't feel very much of anything. But a that's while. a that's a that's a huge that's a huge move from the from the stability yeah. and the safety. I mean, and the and the the just the the whole the sort of giving your brain over to an organization every mm-hmm. day and then maybe mm-hmm. getting it back at night, but kind of not. To yeah. but but also having a financial like having that financial security, that direct deposit, mm-hmm. everything's going out. You got the four hundred one k everything. To a writer's life, which yeah, most people just see the the covers of the book and think that we're like all doing great, and it is fucking hard out here, you know, it's like so hard for it's all so except hard. like 05 percent. And right. now right. you've been in it for years. Yeah. yeah. What does that feel like? Because you know that's such a different way of living. It's so much scarier to just be yeah. out here with no net. It, it, it's, it really, really is. And I mean, part of it is like, thank God I have a husband who's financially successful. You know, he's basically been floating me the way that I kind of, well, I enabled him to found a startup, you know, through my Amazon right. salary. Um, now, you know, his, his income kind of pays for me, but yeah, right. I miss making money. I really, yeah. really miss it. I love you know, money. My, <laughs> I love it. I love just <laughs> anything. Like now I get like this tiny little paycheck to teach a class and I'm like, Ooh, look at this $1,500 that they got me to do 10 weeks worth of work, you know? Yes. Um, and I'm thrilled. I, you know, my advance for this book was really healthy and much bigger than the first one. And then, but you know, it's paid over four years, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and like, and also I took four years to write the book. Like nobody (laughs) made me do that, you know, but so it's really, really hard. And I've not really come to terms with that. And I also missed, I remember when Anjali went viral and I was suddenly like, my name was in like time magazine and the New York post. It was utterly surreal. And to go to Amazon every day and just know what to do <laughs> was amazing. I was yeah. like, oh, a meeting. I, yes. I can go to a meeting. I know these people. And yeah. everybody was so excited for me there. So that was that was fun. Yeah. But I was just like, thank God. Yes, I can answer this email. Yes. And I do miss that. Like sometimes I, I say to my husband, like, maybe I should just go 
just like work at the mall. Like I've worked at the mall before. Like I yeah. want to go to a place at a time and do a thing. Yes. Um, yes. And it's know. so weird because you really do think there's this fantasy and it's like shown in a million movies. Like mm-hmm. they leave the big job and you like, you know, you dust off the furniture that has like, you know, it's in the old cabin yeah. and you blow the dust right. off the typewriter and you're like a new life <laughs> has fucking begun. Right. right. This is it. <laughs> And you and know, it's not like that. No. And with my first book, it was kind of easier because I was really kind of on a deadline and I didn't yeah. leave. And, but I also realized like, you know, I have at most like maybe four hours of good writing time in a day. Yes. You know, it's not like, or like good. I have the other, it, right. Which is great. That's a good day. Like yeah. it's hard. And, you know, also in an office, there've even been studies about this. Like most people, when you think of like work, like sitting at your desk, producing work product, most people can do like two hours worth a day. Like yes. and at Amazon, I'd mostly go to meetings, which is also work, but, but so it's been tough and you know, I don't have children yeah, and like, so I don't have these obvious other things to pour my time into. So I thought a lot about that in the last year or so, like, how do I create structure for myself? I'm trying yeah. to teach more partly because I would just, I would love to earn money. Yes. Yes. I don't like being dependent on, on even my spouse of 25 plus years. (laughs) Um, But, um, but yes, I I thought a lot about that because that structure, I am someone who needs some structure. Yeah. Yeah. Can we, can we talk about the fact that you got sober while you were at Amazon? Mm -hmm. What was that like? It was interesting. So I realized I was basically a drinker for half my career there and sober for the other half. Um, so it's like a little, uh, like in tech terms, like an AB test of like, let's see how this goes. <laughs> um, I had gotten to a point where I just was so worn down by, you know, drinking my bottle of wine a night. Um, I was never a day drinker or anything like that. I didn't realize I was hungover every day. I thought I was just tired. Mm. Um, but I was in this one job in Amazon publishing that was just a nightmare. Um, I think I was not suited to the job. And I also think the job was just awful. And I remember thinking, well, maybe if I quit drinking, that'll, I'll be, I'll have what it takes to do this job. Um, And so that was one of my reasons. I mean, I think it was also hard for me to say to myself, well, existentially, like to live a full life, I need to quit drinking. Um, so I kind of thought it's like the way some people say, well, I just want to lose weight when really they're, they're saying I am a desperate alcoholic and I I need a reason to stop. Um, so I, you know, I stopped and I only told a couple of people, um, and I said, I'm like, oh, I'm doing this hundred day challenge to see, you know, I, I phrased it as, which is true, but I also knew I was fighting for my life really. And, um, within like six months, I realized, oh, this it's the drinking was not the problem with this yeah. job. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was maybe like 5% better at the job and I was much happier, but I also realized that I'm starting to like myself for the, maybe the first time ever. Yeah. I had this feeling of success because I had done the thing I couldn't, I didn't think I could do. And to stay sober, you kind of have to be nice to yourself. Like you, yeah. you really do. And, and I started to think, well, this job, um, maybe if I hate it this much, I shouldn't be in it. Yeah. And that was a very novel thought for me. And, mm. and then I thought, well, maybe I'm failing at the job, which was the most horrific thing, like to fail at anything. And I remember thinking yeah. like, so maybe you fail at it. Right. Yeah. Like, w- can you live? 
you know, like yeah. if you get to go do something that you won't fail at. And I was like, yeah, I guess I could. Yeah. And so like somehow getting sober allowed me to approach that idea that I could walk away from something as a failure. And by yes. the way, I think I was actually like, I was okay at it. Yeah. You know, it's my idea of failure is I have a very high bar for myself. Um, Jen and I were talking about that the other day. We were talking about people who um, lie about having gotten fired. And how we both thought that getting fired was sort of a badge of honor. We love talking about getting fired. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I've never been fired. Yeah. Well, Um, yeah, it's, it's a real, I don't recommend it. uh, Yeah. No, it is just, it is like your failure is unambiguous and failure is something we all run from. I mean, when I, Mm -hmm. when I got fired, it changed, it was a thunderclap. It changed my whole life. Right. Because right. it was, it was, it was a force. It was a force to face myself in a way that I just, it's like getting broken up with, right? You're in a bad relationship, yeah. you have bad relationship, bad, bad relationship, bad relationship. And then all of a sudden the fucking person you didn't even want breaks up with you. And you're like, right. what? <laughs> and you're yeah. devastated. You're like, but wait a second. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, running from failure is a thing. Continue. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I just always thought, well, if I just try harder and dig in more, yeah. I will succeed. And, and I was just like, you're not going to, um, this job is, is almost impossible to succeed at. And you also probably don't have the right, whatever you're missing one factor that would let you nail it. And also it sucks. Yeah. It sucks. And you yeah. don't even drink anymore. So you don't get to drink to get over this. Yeah. And, and so that was when I was really just like, so maybe I'll just fail. Maybe I'll just crawl away. And I somehow just, I didn't care. You know, I was just like, that is fine. It's radical acceptance. Once again, yeah. radical acceptance, you know? I guess you're right. Yeah, yeah. It is. But it's also a thing of like that women will adapt and contort, not all women, but you know, mm-hmm. women will, instead of, I have, I have a friend who I find very radical who will say if we are, if I invite her to a party, she'll say, oh no, mm-hmm. I don't belong there. And I'm always like, what? And I'm like, you, you just don't, she was like, yeah, I don't care. I just don't belong there. And that's amazing. That's an amazing thing to say because yeah. mm-hmm. we're always like, well, it can't be the job. It must be me. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I was, it was really hard for me to actually say, even now I'm realizing saying like, well, this job was undoable. I'm like, but was it? Yes. Is someone going to come forward and, and say how bad you were at it? Because maybe, maybe the next person did great at it. And it's like, maybe that's all true. Um, but it was, it was a nightmare. Like it yeah. was just an absolute nightmare. And there is probably someone out there who could adjust every day to like the new twists and turns of it. And I was like, you know, you're not that person. Right. And I realized that if I wanted to, I I thought I would stay sober no matter what, but if I, if I wanted it to be like a graceful, easy, non-white knuckling thing, I needed to not hate how I spent every day. Yeah. Um, Like that was very plain to me. And I was like, well, okay, then you are going to need to get out of here. And so fortunately I was very good at engineering escapes, you know, yeah. from, from job and Amazon's a huge company. And so you can find something else to do there if you're yeah. willing to put in a little effort, you know? Right. Right. What do you think it was about Amazon's culture that made it so asexual as you describe it? I think it's fear. <laughs> um, I think that, I think people are so stressed. They have so much to do and they are just not thinking about 
you know, flirting or dating. Now this said, I, right. I do know many people who met their future spouses at Amazon. A lot of them started there before I did like early days, people, you know, who, who married other people from Amazon. Like it, it absolutely happened. Right. Um, but I just, I just think it's like, people are not, they don't have time for like, they don't have time for lunch, you know, let alone like, yeah. Oh, I'm going to have a crush or like a work wife or something. Um, right. It's just kind of, you know, once I came back to my desk and this is a new desk in a new role and there was a love note on it that had clearly was clearly meant for someone else. It was about oh. like, oh, seeing you last night was amazing. And and it seemed like it was some kind of like subterranean romance. And I have no idea to this day who it was meant mm. for or who it was from. But it like so I couldn't even pass it along to the right person. Oh. But it absolutely thrilled me. <laughs> I was like, somebody here is in love. These There's two people in love. Who are they? I mean, I was looking around for right. weeks trying to figure it out. It just made me so happy. Even when Jeff Bezos had his big sexting scandal, you know, I was mostly just like, he's in love. <laughs> I was like, I was, and I know he was, you know, cheating on his wife and everything, but I was like, I, I didn't know he could feel these things. You know? <laughs> I love this. The, there's just a, 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 a almost throwaway line when you're, you're in a meeting with him and you haven't been in a while and you're like, Jeff is Jack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't seen him in a couple of years and I was just like, what happened? Like he was huge. Cheater's know? body. Cheater's body. I always, I you can always that. clock it. It's real. <laughs> Men don't get in shape unless they're cheating. Right. No, right. And it was like, he was, he was just, and I was like, what? this is weird. Cause other than that, you know, he was like, basically his appearance had changed, but he was just the same guy. He's right. kind of a nerd. I, I kind of like him, honestly. Like, I mean, when I separate like his impact on the world, you know, I always thought Jeff was fine. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I was just like, what, what happened here? <laughs> you could see these trends in the executives. Like they all started wearing like, like seven for all mankind jeans at one point. I was like, oh, everyone's wife bought them a pair of decent jeans. Yeah. Um, and then at one point they all started looking kind of jacked. And I was like, oh, they're all doing CrossFit. Mm. Um, you know, but Jeff took it to the next level. <laughs> I love, I heard a story once, you know, Bill Gates apparently rocks when he's, you know, he's standing, he rocks, you know, there are people who speculate oh. that he's on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. And apparently it became a popular thing among all of his top executives to also rock. Oh my God. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. I find story. It's, I'm kind of surprised I've never seen Bill Gates in person living in Seattle for so long. But, oh yeah. Um, but now I'm going to be, I'm going to be looking for him. Yeah. I, I, I wonder if people tried to, I never saw anyone like necessarily imitate Jeff's like clothing or whatever, but he could say something in a meeting and it would spread through the entire company, like a, like a game of telephone, but accurate. You know, like wow. he at one point, we used to have these things, tenants, you know, like mm -hmm. tenants for a project. Mm -hmm. It's a brilliant idea. It's basically like you lay out like at, our, at its best, this is what this project will do. And this is how we will approach it. And when you get to a fork in the road, if you've all agreed on the tenants, you can go back and say, well, according to the tenants, we should do this. Yeah. You know, that basically came from like Jeff, and a, another VP talking about it in one meeting and being like, this is a good idea. And like within two weeks, I was writing them. 
you know, wow. like many layers away. And it was amazing how that would happen. There was very little formal communication. It just kind of like spread like a virus. I mean, you do talk a little bit in this book about the the only at Amazon exhilaration you feel sometimes. Yeah. It was, um, it's crazy. I mean, if you want to work on things that sound insane and have well-funded, like crazy projects, like there's nowhere better on earth to be. You know, I had no idea how much I craved that kind of thing. Yeah. I was tired of coloring inside the lines. Um, when I went to Amazon publishing, you know, like it started up a traditional publishing company. You know, right. I was 41, I think like no yeah. traditional publishing company would have hired me with no experience in a leadership role at a publishing company. Right. But, but you know, the woman who hired me, she said, well, you know, Amazon, you know how to get things done here and you love books. You can learn publishing. And it's true. You know, yeah. it's, and then we, we were smart enough to balance it out with, we hired a lot of people from traditional publishing, you know, because we needed both. But I love that. I mean, working on Amazon Go, um, I was just, you know, the, the just walk out supermarket. I didn't know what my job was until after I'd accepted it. Wow. Um, I couldn't find out. They couldn't tell me. And I was at that point, that was the coolest thing I could think of was yeah. just taking a job and not knowing what you were doing. And I mean, I did my yeah. due diligence to make sure I was like, are there animals? Like, are there, <laughs> they're testing on anything? And, you know, and people were like, no, it's not immoral. It's, you know, it's fine. And, um, I love that. And I, I miss that. Like, I feel like I'll never have that again. Yeah. That kind of just, cra I mean, I, people used to say, well, Amazon's just, a, it's basically the Sears catalog. And I was like, well, maybe the retail website, but right. they're doing so many crazy things, you know? Yeah. They said the same thing about Lucky Magazine. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I mean, even, the, even when people would say it about the retail website, I was like, give me a break, you know, like, yeah. come on. Um, right. But uh, yeah, I, that kind of, and, and Jeff has, or Amazon has a lot of patience as a company yeah. in its current financial situation. I don't know if that'll stay, but like with Amazon go, I mean, they've been working on that for years by the time I arrived, you know, it was a secret project and there were all this tech to figure out and he believed in it. And so it was kind of like having a startup with this amazing <laughs> investor who would just keep writing checks as long as he believed in the long-term potential. I remember he said publicly, like, we're willing to be misunderstood for long periods of time. And I think hmm. if you can afford it, that yeah. is great for, that's great for a business. Um, right. But I, I got really like, my husband would talk about a startup. He knew that had gone under and I would be like, well, why, why don't they just get more funding? Right. And he was like, not everybody has Jeff Bezos like writing checks. And I completely right. lost sight of that, that you can actually run out of money. Right. You lost perspective because you were in such a successful company. Yeah. For so like with just so much money to so not much. only throw out, throw out a new project, but give it time to breathe and sort out because it's just, there's yeah. just so much money. Or he would fund two or three different teams to work on the same thing. And whether they knew it or not, you know, and just sort of see like who came up with the the idea that worked best or often Amazon would end up taking two ideas that both kind of failed and figuring out what to do with them. You know, that was one, okay. another thing that I loved is it's a very fail for a company that runs on fear with its people. Yeah. It's very failure tolerant in other ways. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, it's kind of like, well, 
we'll take pieces of this, like the phone. <laughs> you remember Amazon made a phone. That's um, right. And yeah, it was, I remember when we were doing testing for Amazon Go, I kept having to explain to internal beta testers that we don't actually support this phone. <laughs> you have to have Android or Apple. And they were like, what? <laughs> it was really embarrassing. I was like, I know, but we, we don't, you know. Um, but, you know, they took pieces of that. I think it was, you know, and used it in Alexa. And so that's another thing I think I took with me is that find the scraps of whatever worked. And yeah. yeah, things aren't, it's not binary. Things aren't, nothing is, not everything is lost when you, when you fail, you know? Yeah. Usually. True. Mm-hmm. Christy, what do you still want to do? I want to, I want to learn how to write a book for real. <laughs> I keep You've thinking, written you know, three like, books. How? I'm a two. <laughs> I, think, okay. I keep thinking the next one will be the easy one, you know? My big ambition. So Lori Colwyn is my favorite novelist of all time. I love Lori Colwyn. Yeah. Like she's my North star. And I, I want to write a book that, I mean, I'll never know because she's, you know, she died many years ago. I want to write a book that Lori Colwyn would love. Wow. Um, yeah. Like my next book is, it's, it's a novel and mm-hmm. it's, it's like a rom-com, you know, a Lori mm-hmm. Colwyn-ish rom-com. And I want that. I want to feel really fully confident in my body at some point. Mm. Just, just like I really own it and I can, it can do the things I want it to. Um, And I'm really inhabiting it from the inside out. I mean, I think probably lots of women would enjoy that, whether they have articulated it or not. Yeah. Um, And I want to stop being afraid of death. (laughs) <laughs> that's my big one I, I think I'm obsessed with death I think I think about it more than like optimal yeah um and I think that not it's not doing me any good yeah yeah you know it's not like a oh I'm making the most of life because I know I'm gonna die someday it's more like I'm just like what happens when we die you know yeah. like when am I gonna die yeah. so that's all <laughs> just those so simple <laughs> The couple of my fear of death. A couple of simple things. Dead woman would like. <laughs> yeah. Like the most specific goal of all time that's not, I know. I was completely unachievable. <laughs> no, Christy, right. I think you answered that question better than anyone's answered that question in the history of everything is fine. Really? Yes, I think so. I, I, would, also like, I would like to go to Istanbul also. <laughs> you know, there's a writer's residency there that I think is free. No. Or like, or like $500 or something. Wow. I should look into that. I've always, I don't know why I've always wanted to go. I think the architecture is so beautiful. Yeah. I don't really care that it's a little bit dangerous, whatever, you know, the odds that I'm going to die is simple. Obviously, as we know, I'm going to die at some point. <laughs> <laughs> um, and everyone I know who's been there has been like, it changed my life. And, and yet it's always easier when I go to Europe to be like, well, let's just go to, let's, I went to Copenhagen last year. I had choosing between the two and I was like, that sounds easier. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's yeah. choose the easy path. No, but the writer's residency is the, is the, is the scam because that's the way, you know, it's like, oh, well I have to be here and you know, you're going to be mad at writing. So you're going to have to go out and oh, see yeah. things, you know? <laughs> yeah. I always yeah. tell people go to a writer's residency someplace where there is other stuff for you to do. Like I went to Ragdale yeah. once and outside Chicago and thank God it was like, there were movie theaters, yep. there were, you know, because yep. you are going to need other, or you're going to lose your shit. Yeah. You can't just be alone. You done. can't just be like the shining. 
Like you can't. No, that's exactly <laughs> what will happen. You know, you can't. <laughs> Find a multiplex. It can be in the suburbs. That's yeah. right. That's right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. So it's much. like so nice to finally meet you. Yeah, it was a delight. I absolutely loved it. Um, yeah. And it's so fun to talk about these issues that I think like women of our age are just grappling with, you know, totally. like yep. thinking people. <laughs> what does it all mean? Exactly. Thank you right, so much. Right. You're welcome. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Thanks, Christy. This was great. Thanks for listening to Everything is Fine. We are your hosts. I'm Jen Romolini. And I'm Kim France. If you like the show, please rate and review it on all the platforms, especially Apple Podcasts. It really helps people find the show and makes a difference. If you want to support the production of the show, we're at patreon.com slash everything is fine. There are many different tiers of support. It's $3, $12, anything you want. Um, if you want to follow us on social media, we're on Instagram at EIF Podcast. We're on Facebook with a robust and private Facebook group. You can find Kim on her Substack, kimfrance.substack.com. The Substack is called Girls of a Certain Age. You can find me mostly on our Patreon. The show is mixed and edited by the great Natalie Rivera. Thank you, Natalie. And we'll be back next week. 